0: Women Taking the Lead, Episode 5.
1: When I sit at my desk and I come from a place of knowing my worth, knowing who I am, knowing my power, that really feeds through the work that I do.
0: Hello, my name is Jodi Flynn and welcome to Women Taking the Lead, where we are all about creating blasts of inspiration to help you overcome self-doubt so that you can lead with confidence, integrity, and a sense of humor. Your future awaits, so let's get started. everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I'm here with Savia Voragi who is the founder and CEO at High Value Woman. She is passionate about helping women tap into their innate power through utilizing the skills and talents they already have and leveraging them in our dynamic world so they can have the success they want and earn the money they dream of. Okay, Savia, that is just a teaser for everyone. Uh-huh. So tell us more about you and where you came from.
1: Oh, gosh. Um, well, first of all, thank you very much for having me on your podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to be here and to be able to talk to all the people over in uh, North America. I'm over here in sunny Sydney. Well, not quite sunny yet because it's very early in the morning. Um, so my my story. Um, <clears throat> so I'm originally from a working class background in the north of England. Um, I grew up in a very traditional Indian family and very much was told – That um, because of my culture, was that, you know, as a woman and a young girl, that I wasn't to be seen and wasn't to be heard. and it seems that, you know, God decided not to give me a subservient uh, bone in my body and made me a very contradictory soul. So that really didn't work very well for me. Um, so by the time I was kind of in my teenage years, um, traditionally, you know, at, at 16, you have usually a plethora of arranged marriage um, proposals. wasn't really quite happening for me. Um So I made the decision that if I wasn't going to get married very, very young and have children, which was what was expected of me, then my parents very much were into education. So I went to college, I went to university, and decided that my life was going to be about career success. Um, So probably for the last 20 years, I've been very driven to create the success that I wanted to and feel like I have. So I was lucky enough to start – Start my career very early after I left university. I studied um, accountancy and economics. Yeah, very boring. I I totally accept that. Um, and made the decision that hell, you know what? Four years of accountancy was just about as much as I could take. Um, so I started in human resources back in oh gosh, nineteen ninety so coming up almost twenty years. Um, and I started in the payroll area. Uh, moved into the kind of reward and remuneration space. And very quickly, probably within the space of three or four years, I was the head of the function for an American bank in the Irish subsidiary. So my career took off very, very quickly. And for the last 20 years, I've kind of um, mainly in the last 15 years worked in head of reward roles, working in large organizations, helping corporate organizations to really have reward strategies work for the business and for the people. And I'd say probably in the last eight years, got very passionately involved in all the work that was happening around the gender split and the diversity issues, and also <clears throat> the ongoing um, pay gap. So for me, um, being on the other side of the table, I was able to see the challenges that women were experiencing in the corporate structure. Ironically enough, for me, it was never an issue. I come, Like I said, I come from an Indian background, so... You know, negotiating was something that I think that's just in the blood. So I had no issue asking for I want what I wanted. But I just learned through watching men do it to get really, really good at it, but also then learn how to um, to start asking for what I want from a really powerful feminine place because a lot of what I learned was from a very masculine model of success. And I realized as much as it can be successful, it didn't feel very authentic to me. So I really decided, well, I want to help women to do this from a powerful feminine perspective. And I guess, you know, about four years ago, um, this was where I realized I wanted to go. And so last year, I left my corporate career and started in my business for myself. And that's pretty much what I've been doing for the last kind of almost 12 months, which is helping women to find the first of all, find what it is that's stopping them in the first place to ask for what they want, whether it's money, a promotion, an opportunity. Um, get very clear on their worth and then be able to articulate it in a manner that's confident and allows them to ask for what they want and know that they're absolutely worth it. It's horrible. It sounds like a um, a L'Oreal ad, but that's, sorry about it. But it really is. It's like I really want them to feel I'm worth this and I can ask for it and it's not an issue for me to ask for it. So I guess in a nutshell, that's kind of my story as to, to where I am.
0: Mm, Sabia, I'm so grateful that you took the time to be on. And it is very early in the morning for you. And for those who are listening, Sabia graciously basically rolled out of bed and got (laughs) on her computer (laughs) to do this interview. But knowing you and knowing the work that you do, I thought, you know, as soon as I had the concept for this podcast, I immediately thought of you and thought I have got to have her on my show. Um, And you've clearly had success in your life and you've definitely gained confidence or you've already always had it. I can't tell, but (laughs) (laughs) you've, you've grown more and more confident too. But, Take us back to a time when you were playing small, Mm. and you may not have been aware of it at the time. Yes. Share with us that story and the lessons you learned from it.
1: Mm, Absolutely. Um, I guess for me, the playing small really, um, it started kind of in my late teens and early 20s when I was in that really unsure time of what I was going to do with my life. So, you know, when you grow up listening to people tell you that this is the model of success and this is how you're meant to be and you don't fit into that model at all in any way, shape, or form, you kind of think, oh, my God, um, not only do I feel like a complete outcast in my um, my community, but when I look into society, I haven't grown up with the tools that actually help me to be successful in this society. So within my culture, you know, dating isn't something that you do. So I'm there, you know, 21 years old in university, and everyone around me is dating, and I'm like, what is this? Um so, for me, I think probably from the ages of 18 to 23 when I really started my career, and probably actually even more up till about 20, I'd say probably a period of 10 years. I think a lot of my success came from an unconscious drive of just wanting to prove myself. So, when you say to, um, playing small, I was actually, I felt internally now when I look back at that time, I was playing small because. I wasn't owning who I was. I was driven more from a place of there was so much missing within me that I felt like all of this outer success was going to fill this great big gaping hole that I had. And so, the the one thing that I remember for that from that ten year period was being so driven to fill this hole that I didn't I didn't know who I was. Um, I didn't. I really. Um, I kind of almost pushed myself into spaces that. Um, people had told me I couldn't occupy and that there was just no way this little brown person was going to occupy that space. Um, So I think when I first started, it was very much around, I didn't believe in myself at all. um, And it was almost through pure willpower that I put myself in the spaces that would help me to grow. But I didn't realize that was what I was doing. Um, For me, it was just I had this massive hole because I felt like I wasn't, not even a case if I wasn't good enough, but I wasn't worthy enough to be to be married. Um, so yeah, there was this like big gaping black hole, which I went to try and fill through um, external success, and that that kind of um, push can only take you so far anyway. But I played—I know I played really small because I—I I know from my family's perspective, they saw this very driven individual who probably wasn't in the best space at all because she really, I didn't know how to be myself because I didn't know who I was. I was trying to find a model that would say, hey, you do this and you'll be fine. And so it was almost like a pseudo model. So I look back at that time and I think I can can remember my success, but I don't remember feeling it. I don't remember being present to it. And I don't really remember enjoying it very much either.
0: You know, and I, I've seen that as a trend. I think that that's hardwired into us that when we don't feel worthy in one area of our life, it's almost there's this um o- like this overarching oh. need to be really successful yes. in another part of our lives oh. to prove that we're good enough and that we're worthy, whether or not we even want it, oh. you know, because yeah. it sounds like you were just good at it. You know, (laughs) it wasn't something you had to work really hard for. So you were getting all this success and accolades, but it didn't mean a lot Mm. to you because it didn't make up for the area where you didn't feel worthy at Mm. the time.
1: And I I, you know Yeah, and I I was I was so driven. So I've always my parents always instilled a strong work ethic in me. So I started working when I was thirteen years old in a part time role. And I love working and even now I still for me my business is not really work. Um so I always loved working and I and I guess I didn't have I mean I had friends. Obviously, don't want to sound like Billy no, mate. Um I did have friends, but my work consumed me to the point where I would work quite happily 60, 70 hours a week and not think anything of it. And to me, yes, it was working hard, but it was like, well, this is what I want to spend my time doing because I didn't know to do anything else. So I sometimes think um, a lot of my success probably came from just a lot of hard, really, really hard work when I think about it now and just sheer willpower. Yeah,
0: I can see that in you. <laughs> now, now, share with us a time in your journey when you had a wake-up call. Take us back to that moment and share with us the steps that you took that mm. led to your success.
1: Um, I think probably uh, a wake-up call that I really um, remember and really resonates with me as to what I would say was probably the biggest wake-up call that I had was um, I was 35 years old and um I'd been in Australia for probably just over three and a half, four years. And I'd had a lot of success in Australia. So when I came to Australia, um, there weren't a lot of people who had international remuneration experience. So I was getting headhunted like an idiot. Um, It was fantastic. I mean, people were practically throwing money at me. So can't complain about that. Um, And I realized that as much as I love my work and I was really good at it, Um, I was exhausted. I was absolutely exhausted. I was still working really long hours. Um, There was still a level within me that was driven from a place of really wanting to succeed. Um, And I was having the success and I was starting to get asked to um, be a speaker in my field. I was getting asked to chair conferences. So my success was really, I'd say, probably at its height. And yet I was just utterly exhausted. And I couldn't quite figure out how is it that when you do the work that you love, um, you think you're being fulfilled by it you're still exhausted like I was I was learning to eat better and be healthy and all of these kinds of things I mean I live in one of the most beautiful parts of the world and I couldn't quite understand why I felt um, so exhausted and underneath the exhaustion was still a level of emptiness and what happened was I realized that um I'm not sure if your um, listeners are familiar, but um, Tony Robbins, obviously everyone's familiar with, but there was a gentleman that um, Tony Robbins had done work with around um, relationships. And he talks about masculine and feminine energy. And something prompted me to go back to his work. And I started reading um, the difference around uh, masculine and feminine energy. And what I realized was, and what the wake-up call for me was, I was living in such a masculine model of the world that in my core, I'm a feminine woman. So if I'm living a model of the world that isn't something that's absolutely aligned to my core, then ultimately it's not going to fulfill me. So once I understood that, and it was one of those kind of intellectual moments, which then slowly over the last few years has really become a more emotional and spiritual journey i realized that i was living a model that although gave me the outward um trappings and also the outward view of success inside i was constantly being successful but thinking okay is that it is that is this all there is to it and then once Mm -hmm. i realized that because of the model i had been living i wasn't actually filling myself up i was actually emptying myself out all the time um it was like, oh, okay, this is a real wake up call, and it took me probably a good two, three years, even since then, to really understand what it it is to live as a powerful feminine woman, especially in the corporate world, because our, our model of the world is a very strong masculine, patriarchal model of the world, and the corporate world, gosh, you know, it couldn't define that as as well as it does. So, to actually try and go in and be a feminine woman, first of all. I think there's so many misconceptions around what it means to be a feminine woman in her power. And so it took me a little while to, first of all, break through all the myths I had about what it means to be a feminine woman, and then to really incorporate it into my life as a part of me, not something that I was going to do to be successful, but it was going to be my identity. So it took a while for me to understand what that was. And now I feel like I live it so much more to the point where everything that I'm being and everything that I'm doing fills me up. And doesn't actually empty me out, um, so mm-hmm. that was probably the biggest wake up call for me.
0: And Sabio, how does this impact your day to day? When you think about you know just being in your own power as oh. a feminine woman, what you know, how does that look for you?
1: Wow. Um, so for me, being in my feminine power, first of all, um, so for me, what it like? So the the difference between masculine and feminine energy is masculine energy is very driven. It's very Um, it's very motivated by outcomes and results and is very kind of linear, rational, logical. Um, Gosh, I could talk about it forever. Um, But it's very much about breaking through obstacles and achieving what you set out to achieve. So it's very directional, very focused. So I utilize a lot of that energy, A, because it's just so innate within me because I think I've honed it for so long. Um, So I utilize a lot of that energy when I need to get things done. But my mode of operating now comes from a place of, The very first things that I do is I'm usually, other than to this morning when I had to roll out of bed, I'm usually a person who wakes up very early in the morning and I probably spend at least half an hour to 45 minutes, you know, meditating and putting myself in a space and I approach my day from a place of intention around who is it that I choose to be and what is it that I choose to do from that place of being. So masculine energy is very much about doing Feminine energy is very much about being. So what it is is you are taking your emotional and spiritual space and saying, okay, why why do I believe I'm here? What is the work that I'm meant to be doing? And putting yourself in a place of power that then allows you to be a little bit more reflective around the work that you're going to do. So what that's meant for me is now rather than just looking at my million to-do list, I look at my million to-do list and I think, okay, so I've got only probably about, you know, 10 hours in the day where I'm going to be working. How do I want to fill that time? What's going to have the biggest impact on my clients, on me and the work that I'm doing today? So I really find myself focusing. Yes, I look to the future, but I really think about what's today going to be about and how is it going to set me up for my future? And then I figure out what the action items are going to be. And rather than doing what I used to do, which would be trying to cram as much as I could into 10 hours, is I'll think, okay, What work is going to have the most impact? And then I will probably pick, say, six items that I'm going to focus on in the day. And throughout the day, I keep checking in with myself of saying, how am I feeling? Who am I being? Is this the woman that I want to be when I do this work? Because I totally believe that when I sit at my desk and I come from a place of knowing my worth, knowing who I am, knowing my power, that really feeds through the work that I do. And it has a very different impact than if I was just to sit and think, I've got to get this done because I've got to get more clients or I've got to do this. So for me, I guess it's a more holistic approach, but it really puts me into my body, into my emotions. And feminine energy is very much about relationship. It's about relationship because it's our ability to connect and to build um, connection with each other, which is something that women are so brilliant at, and yet we we negate it because we don't think it's important. Um, It's about relationship to myself, to my work, to my clients, to the world at large. So I come from this space of how is what I'm doing going to build the relationships of my life so that I can actually live my mission and my purpose. So for me, I guess that's the difference in my work day. And I find that I can do four or five hours of work and then I'll stop and I will go for a walk on the beach. I'll have lunch. I'll take time to, you know, ground myself, center myself, and then I'll come back to work and I will do another four or five hours. And sometimes I'm amazed at A, how much I get done. But I think, wow, this just doesn't even feel like work anymore.
0: Hmm. I really love how you brought that together. And this is a topic that I think we're just going to have to have a separate interview because there's a million things I, I want to ask you. And I know you have to say about this, but I really to kind of sum up what you said, like you perfectly, um ge- you know, explained how masculine energy is really about conquering mm. and feminine energy is really about bringing things together. So ultimately, the result might be the same. But men and women go about getting that Mm. result a little bit differently. And what I found is where women get tripped up is sometimes they think they have to go out and conquer and Mm. that doesn't feel good. And it doesn't Mm. feel right. And it's depleting. But if you think about rather like if you have a project or something, it's about what can I do to bring this together? What can Mm. I do to bring it to completion um, and that feels good and that feels right for women.
1: Absolutely. It's It's a beautiful way that you said that and especially having worked in HR, like I was, my areas that I looked after were usually reward remuneration and operations so there was a lot that I used to have to get done but one of the things that I realized when I started living in this space is my stakeholders were usually the executive teams. And my ability to connect with them became so much deeper because I started asking questions not only about their areas, which I'd always done, but I started asking questions about them, their teams. And I really got into, I guess, the depth of the conversations. And through those conversations, I learned a lot of information about what they really wanted. And so then I was able to start delivering to them what they really wanted. So we have a lot of surface conversations. And then when you start getting into the depth of it, because from a feminine energy perspective, my total focus was on building a relationship where I was seen as the subject matter expert and the person that they could come to. And it was really, it used to make me laugh that um, my phone used to just ring all the time because I would have managers and my senior managers and my executives just saying, hey, can I just ask you something? And you know, people just felt so much more comfortable with me because not only did they know I got things done, but they also knew they could just pick up the phone and have a conversation with me rather than, you know, um, sending an email or feeling like they needed to have a meeting about it. It was just suddenly there was an easiness to the relationship which actually helped us to produce and deliver so much more.
0: Mm-hmm. Because you know exactly what they're looking for. Exactly. Too. Yeah. Awesome. Now, what is one thing you're working on right now that you're really excited about?
1: Oh, okay. I'm so glad you asked me that. Um, actually, there's two things. Am I allowed to share two things?
0: Yes, you can. Okay.
1: So number one that I'm working on is um, I'm writing a book about my business, which is called um, Six Steps to Six Figures. And it's very much around um, my philosophy, around what it is that I teach. So – it's something that will actually help women um, understand what it is I do and how I do it because I have, I think, I have a very different way of approaching this whole idea of how do you ask for the money that you want to earn. So that's something that I'm working on right now, and I'm very, very excited about that. And the other thing that I'm working on is workshops in um sydney australia and i'm hoping to branch out nationally in australia but one of the things that i'm working on is i'm very conscious that i have a lot of contacts across the globe and i really want to deliver this work internationally so what i'm actually working on is taking the material that i use in my workshops and developing an online um program so that i can actually do group coaching and group um module sessions um to, anywhere, to people anywhere in the world. So forgetting about time difference because I can't believe how far away Australia is from everyone else, um, that's something that I'm working <laughs> on because I realized that, uh, especially when I was writing my book, I realized how needed this work is in the world. And I thought, you know what, I'm only in my, you know, 11th month of my first year of business, but I thought, what the hell, I'm going to think big and I'm going to start working on this now.
0: I love that. All right. So now I'm going to do a quick leadership roundup. So tell us, what is one practice that makes you a better leader?
1: I would say um, one practice that makes me a better leader, ironically, really goes back into the space of feminine energy. So probably the most important thing that I've learned in leadership is the ability to really listen to people and really hear what they're saying. Um, I realized very quickly when I started um, so after I'd done the, um, the IPEC coaching course and we talked about the levels of listening, um, I really started to listen at the level three, the intuitive level. And I started it, ironically, with my executives because they're the hardest people to talk to. Um, and I really started listening to them and really hearing what they were saying. And I couldn't believe the undertones of the conversation. And I realized the thing that came through to me, I realized, is, first of all, everybody wants to be heard And when you really listen with every part of you and you really hear what they're saying, not only can you deliver them what they really need and want, but it builds that deep connection and relationship. And one of the things that I'm really um, proud of is throughout my corporate career, I built a lot of relationships, but I didn't realize how strong those relationships were until I announced that I was leaving the corporate world. And so many people across the globe, because I've worked in different countries, um, got in touch to wish me well and say that if I ever needed anything, that you know they would be more than happy to help me. And it made me realise that it's amazing that when you're a leader, your ability to listen to people and to really hear what they're saying really makes you stand out because not very many people do it. It is it is a trait every Absolutely.
0: everyone could use to, could mm. benefit from developing. What is one book that you would recommend to a woman to help her develop her leadership? Oh,
1: gosh, that's such a great question. I have so oh god, real I so many. Um, okay, so I'm probably going to say uh, I'm probably going to say a series of books that the minute I say it, you're going to be like, "What are you talking about?" Um, so probably the <laughs> books that had the biggest impact on me were um, Neil Donald Walsh's Conversations with God. Um, And, you know, he's written so many of them, but I'd say probably the trilogy um, book one to book five or six, whichever it was, um, those books really absolutely changed my life because I started, it really changed my view of the model of the world that I was operating in. Um, It changed my mind about a lot of things and it really helped me now to become the woman that I now am and the woman that I want to be. So As much as people think, oh my God, they're not really leadership books. Actually, they taught me how to be a leader because they taught me how to be a human being and a soul who knows that she is connected to everyone and everything. So I think for me, that was the biggest leadership lessons I learned.
0: Perfect. What is your favorite healthy food?
1: Oh, my favourite um, healthy food, um, living in Australia is an absolute treat because when I was in England, yes, we used to get fresh fruit and vegetables, but they didn't really taste like fresh fruit and vegetables. So living in Australia, I eat strawberries and they taste like strawberries. Um, so I would have to say my favourite food is probably strawberries. I love it with um, a dark chocolate fondue, but if I was to be healthy, it would just be strawberries on their own.
0: I love it. <laughs> Knowing what you know now, if given a chance to go back and do anything differently, what would you change?
1: Um, when I was 19 years old, I went through a really, really tough time. I guess it would probably be called, you know, your dark night of the soul. Um, and as much as I would not, I don't regret that at all. Um, and I wouldn't change that either. What I would um, like to have changed is just prior to that um, maybe understanding that everything wasn't as dark as I thought it was. Um, I think in that period I was probably not the nicest person to be around with my family and my family just means the world to me and when I look back at that time, fair enough I was in my late teens so of was a pain in the ass anyway. Um, but I think there were times where I probably wasn't very nice um, to members of my family. And I think that's probably the one thing that hurts me because I think, yes, I was in a lot of pain, but I didn't need to inflict that on them. So that's probably one thing that kind of makes me think I would- I would like to go back and change that.
0: Mm-hmm. And you know what I like about this is it's also, you know, when we recognize that's something that we would have liked to have done differently, we're also mm. more more mindful to make Absolutely. sure we don't repeat that. Yes. Um, so when you do, because we'll all hit dark times again, mm. you'll be more compassionate and, gra- and yes. graceful in your relationships. Yes. Awesome.
1: Exactly. But also it gives me an understanding of when people are in pain, they do say, and do things that are hurtful, but you can, like you said, when you have compassion because you understand exactly what they're going through, you're a lot more forgiving as well.
0: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And before we say goodbye to you, share with us a success quote or a mantra and why it has meaning for you.
1: This is probably going to sound really strange. Um, So my mantra is, ironically, um, the words of God, which is, I am that I am. Um, and the reason that has such power for me is it reminds me, first of all, of who I am. And I truly believe myself to be a part of God. And it helps me to remember that there is nothing that I can't create if I put my mind, my heart and my soul to it. So by, just in the mornings when I wake up, I remind myself and I say, I am that I am. And it just just actually, even when I say it, like, I get goosebumps all <laughs> over it because it just... Completely reminds me of all of that, and my day kind of just takes on this glow of there is nothing that I um, can't achieve if I choose to do it today.
0: Yes, you know what? Um, for anyone who's listening, if you didn't repeat that statement to yourself after she said it, try it because I did it myself, Sabia. <laughs> and I did get goosebumps as well. It is mm. there's something about that statement that that's at our core. I think that has meaning. So, Mm. all right. Lastly, what is the best way for our listeners to connect with you?
1: Um, The best way to connect with me is through my website. So, or through email. So they can email me at sabia at highvaluewoman.com.au. Or they can just go to my website, which is www.highvaluewoman.com.au. And there's a free gift there, um, a report around the three reasons why women don't ask for the pay rises that they want, and how they can stop that straight away. It's completely free, they can put their email address in and download it and connect with me from there as well.
0: All right, ladies, you heard that. Go grab it. You're going to want that. And the links are going to be in the show notes on the Women Taking the Lead website. Um, I'll have all of that for you. Um, Sabia, thank you so much for waking up early and taking the time (laughs) to inspire and enlighten us. We're all better for having met you.
1: Oh, my pleasure. It was an absolutely wonderful experience.
0: Goodness, can you see why I knew a long time ago I needed to have Sabia come on and talk to us about what she has going on and what she's learned. She has so much to give. And you can find all the resources mentioned in this episode at womentakingthelead.com or if you love efficiency like I do, you can enter womentl.com and you'll find her in the podcast tab. And if you wouldn't mind, if you could go into the iTunes store and leave this podcast a rating and review, you can find it by entering women taking the lead in the search bar and give me some feedback. Let me know what you think of the show. What would you like more of what you would like less of definitely open to having a show that benefits all of us. Again, thank you for joining me.